I, I think it's overconfidence because I thought like, this is a genius idea. Like I would buy this. Why would more people? And I didn't take the time to build my list and to to market. And, you know, I was still new to e-commerce, but I thought, oh, my direct sales experience is going to be great for this. And my first launch, I had like one subscriber. <laughs> and uh, instead of moping about it, I think I gave myself a, a small pity party. The first business idea I ran with was a blog from makers and artists in Pennsylvania. I was smitten with the new maker movement, and I figured that highlighting made-in-PA goods would be an easy way to engage with this community. And I was right. Made-in-PA wasn't just the perfect constraint on who to feature. It also served as a constraint for who the audience for the site was to do. I was writing about Pennsylvanians for Pennsylvanians. Now, I had no idea at the time just how savvy this business decision was. I immediately connected with incredible people, and they were immediately into what I was doing because they loved that it was just for them. Soon, the site caught the eye of people from the Pennsylvania Guild of Craftsmen, one of the largest nonprofit craft associations in the country. Within a few months of launching my site, I was teaching social media workshops for the Guild's artisans. I was invited to attend one of the largest trade shows for handmade goods in the United States on a media pass. I spoke at Etsy headquarters. I hosted meetups. Now, the site never got huge, of course, but that didn't matter because people were connecting with it and with me because they knew I made it just for them. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Today, we're talking about building a niche audience, just like I did with my very first website. There has never been a better time to have a niche business. In fact, I would list not specializing in a niche as one of the top three business mistakes I've personally made over the last eight years or so. Tian Kim Lam knows the power of an engaged niche audience, but her niche is a little different than mine was. In fact, consider this your parental advisory warning. Tian Kim Lam is the founder of Body Bookworms, a subscription box company and virtual book club for women who prioritize pleasure. She took her love for romance books and experience selling adult toys and turned it into the subscription service she would love to buy, knowing there was a niche audience out there who would think the same thing. Tian Kim and I talk about her initial challenges bringing the subscription box to market and what's working now to connect with her niche audience. We talk opt-in incentives, author partnerships, content marketing, and Facebook groups. Now, let's find out what works for Tian Kim Lam. Tian Kim Lam, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited you are here and I am excited to talk about this topic um, because I think that, you know, so many people think that building an audience looks like going after sort of the mass market or making your message as palatable to as many people as possible. Um, and what I love about what you're doing is that there is such a big market opportunity behind it. And at the same time, it is so incredibly niche and your message is so focused and, and who you're trying to attract is so focused. Um, but let's, before we get to all of that, let's start closer to the beginning. How did you get the idea for Body Bookworms in the first place? Body Bookworms was this mashup between two things that I love, which is reading romance books. I've been reading them since 
younger than I should be reading them. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I learned about sex toys and I ended up um, selling sex toys at, you know, like kind of like Mary Kay Tupperware parties. Um, so when I stopped selling the toys, I missed the education component of talking to women about sexual pleasure and their bodies. And I had also started to dive back in, into the romance world. And I, you know, I read romance because there's the women in there are independent, they're feisty, and they want to have fun in the bedroom or the kitchen or, you know, outside, wherever they're doing it in the book. And I thought, like, wouldn't it be a great conversation starter to read a romance book, talk about the sex, and then um, provide a product, a pleasure product that can help the readers explore what the same the same characters are doing as a way for them to try something new. I love that. Now, you chose to go after that with a subscription model. And, you know, you talked about two kind of approaches to this industry that are tried and true. Like I can tell you from being a bookseller for five years that I, I, you know, just the amount of people that would come through the romance and erotica sections was mind blowing to me at the time. Cause it was very new to me, but wow, there is such a big business opportunity there. And with sex toys, there's a big business opportunity there too. I mean, you can see that, you know, whether it's in your Instagram feed or it's in your Amazon ads or it's in the billboards at the side of the road, right? Like it's a huge, huge industry. Um, but you came at it in this different way, uh, which is creating a subscription box. Were there, sub were there particular subscription companies at the time that were inspiring you or was this sort of... Um, did you did you kind of have you know find this idea as an innovation on these two existing business models? That's a good question. When I came up with the idea in I think it was 2015, there weren't a lot of uh, lifestyle non lifestyle subscription boxes. So like BarkBox, you know, like for dogs, like that was didn't come until much later. It was all very general. Like here's a box of makeup, or here's a box of you know random body products and things. And I wanted to make a subscription box. One was for the recurring income, but also I wanted to build a book club discussion around each of our boxes. You know, that's the thing, like people reading is such a solitary uh, activity and, and sex is between a very small, you know, group of people, one to, you know, however many you want usually. <laughs> so we never really get a chance to talk about these things like women don't sit around and talk about their favorite vibrators which I think we totally should um, and I wanted to, to use the subscription model as a way to kind of create that community and that environment that we had this these items in common so that we come together and talk about it and hopefully it would open up conversations to um, more more things I love that. Okay, so I'm really fascinated right now by sort of the origin stories of these ideas, because um, I think there is a lot of creativity behind them. But there's also like there's almost like um, a genealogy that you can track of where these ideas come from. And so it sounds like for you, you were thinking about how do you create a product for another idea that has existed for as probably as long as there have been books, which is book clubs, book discussions. And so kind of this melding of these ideas is, is what brought you to body 
bookworms, which is such a cool thing um, to realize and to recognize. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I know that the market for erotica is vast and growing um, as it is for sex toys. Um, But at the same time, it's really niche. And as you said, it's not something that especially women are sitting around talking about all the time. So did you have any reservations as you were getting the idea started, as you were making those first moves about launching a business into such a niche market? I had no reservations. Actually, I probably should have had a few more reservations so I could have (laughs) planned my launch better. (laughs) But I had been selling sex toys for, you know, 12 years. You know, I would pack up my suitcase of vibrators and go to women's homes and tell all their friends about these things. And, and I think like I had Facebook was still fairly new to me and, and Twitter. So I just thought like, why not take this, you know, it's e-commerce. I had younger kids. I didn't want to be out every night, like, you know, selling products. And, and I figured, well, I already know what I'm doing. My friends know what I'm doing. They think it's awesome. I'll just put it out there. I love that. Okay. So, uh, all right. To this point, I have been defining this as a niche market, but I want to know how you actually define your market. When you think about who your ideal subscriber, your ideal member, your ideal buyer is, um, is it someone that we would recognize or is it someone, and maybe this is a stupid question, but I I just, I want to know what your answer is. (laughs) Um, Or is it someone like, uh, I don't know, Uh, clearly this topic makes me a little nervous. I mean... (laughs) This is fun. This sure, is the first time I, we've done this on the podcast. Um, but yeah, how do you define your market? Oh my goodness. So I market mostly to women um, and femmes. So because basically like most entrepreneurs, I found this hole and I wanted to, this is a really bad um, metaphor for this topic, <laughs> but I found a scarcity and I wanted to fill it because I needed it. You know, I was reading romance again. It helped me escape from, you know, the crazy mom life. Uh, and and naturally, like these books are very arousing to a lot of women and you want to do something about it. And I thought, like, I'm not the only person. And I know about these products and my friends who would come and ask me about them. And I, I said, OK, well, here we go. And the thing is, from my experience from doing from selling sex toys, you know, in direct sales is that there's no typical person who wants to try a sex toy. Basically, it's, you know, I talked to people of all generations who were uncomfortable or the way they were raised, they couldn't talk about this topic. So you'd be surprised, like how diverse the our customer base is, you know, if I were like to drill down demographics, like say I wanted to purchase an ad, for someone, then I would say most of our customers are between the ages of 25 and 50. And obviously, they like to read. Um, but as as far as like um, education and race and, um, you know, background, like how socioeconomic background, they're all different. You know, we all want to feel good, right? And a lot of us were raised to not talk about sex, to not um, prioritize our personal pleasure. So I think this is kind of like a reawakening and having it in a virtual space makes it more comfortable for our community to talk about these things. Very cool. Very cool. So maybe it's, maybe it would be more correct for me to refer to it as a niche product for a vast market. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because romance is such a big genre. So not every type of romance has a lot of sex in it. So in in there is where I would niche down was like people who like to read certain subgenres. 
Cool. So you mentioned when you were first launching the product that maybe you should have had more reservations and it could have saved you some headaches. What were some of the challenges that you ran into with that first, uh, you know, with the kind of initial product launch? I I think it's overconfidence because I thought like, this is a genius idea. Like I would buy this. Why would more people? And I didn't take the time to build my list and to to market. And you know, I was still new to e-commerce, but I thought, oh, my direct sales experience is going to be great for this. And my first launch, I had like one subscriber. <laughs> and uh, instead of moping about it, I think I gave myself a, a small pity party. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to pretend this launch never happened. And I'm going to start over and, you know, build that list and do the teasers and and things like that. Uh, and that got me off to a better start. Okay. So tell us about that. What what did what kind of activities did you pivot to when you realized you were gonna have to put in some more work to build this audience? I what did I, I created a, an opt-in, right? Because I you read all these sites like um, an opt-in and I thought like what what is it that I'm doing that sets me apart from you know, other sex toy companies. And when I first started, I was kind of marketing the sex toy part more because that was, I had more experience. I felt more of an expert in that. Um, and I created this download that was called Pleasure Pairings. And I took quotes from romance books that I liked or people recommended to me. And then I would pick a product, a pleasure product to go with it, kind of like a wine or a chocolate pairing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you like read this book and try this toy because they use um, a similar product or they do this activity that this toy would be great in. And that became my my opt-in to get to build that newsletter list. And how'd that work for you? I thought it went really well. And people were like, this is such a great idea. I can't believe no one's ever thought about it. And I, with that opt-in, I was able to partner with uh, romance authors. And we would kind of do like swaps um, with our newsletters to kind of get, you know, our cross-promote our readers to join our lists. And that helped grow my list quite a bit. Wow, that's a great idea. I, I Like like you said, the opt-in incentive is sort of like, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. But then taking it to that next level and going out and sharing it, partnering with people who have exactly the audience that are right for you, and you know that already, is a phenomenal way to get people back and actually using that opt-in incentive. Because it's one thing to create the thing, right? It's another thing to actually get people to sign up for it and download it. And then it's another thing on top of that to actually get people buying. You'll hear more about building a niche audience from Tian Kim Lam in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks unlocks your ability to sell experiences, relationships, and expertise in one place with its all-in-one platform. Instead of wrestling with a whole host of apps and services to turn your content, ideas, or movement into a thriving business, Mighty Networks finally brings it all together in one place. You can create articles, online courses, and events, organize your community into groups, host an online chat, and connect with beautiful profiles. Plus, you can track your stats, manage payments, and maintain your own customer information right inside the platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our virtual conferences, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business more streamlined. Start growing your business all in one place by going to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. 
Um, what? Let's see. Where do we? Where should I go next? Well, I want to. I want to learn more about what's working for you right now um, to find your audience, but also to find customers as well. Are you still using an opt-in incentive, or are there other things that you're doing now to to bring new people in? Okay. The opt-in incentive is still living on the Body Bookworm site, but I'm not promoting it quite as much. What I'm doing, I'm creating content. So. You know, as you know, um, a lot of products of a sexual nature, whether it's even though it's sex positive like mine, we have a hard time advertising on major social media platforms. So I've decided to not even try and give them my money anymore and just um, try to go the slow way, I guess. And so I'm creating content on my site's blog that will educate and hopefully bring in people and get them to sign up. So now I have a, um, a twice monthly column on the blog that are pleasure pairing. So we'll, I'll help promote um, an author. And I've been trying to focus more on indie published authors and diverse mm. authors. And um, I'll, you know, do the same thing. I'll uh, share like a very, very steamy excerpt. And then, uh, you know, like then talk about a product, do a little bit of education, how to use this product. Uh, so that, those are the pleasure pairings. And that's great because the authors will then cross promote that that blog post with their audience. Um, and that's worked w- really well for me. And I'm also doing kind of like 101 um, sex, sex toy um, um, content. So like, how do you use Benoit balls? Or what's the deal about C-rings? And I'm trying to make them fun and light, like our C-ring articles. Like, if you like it, put a C-ring on it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> So those are doing what those are them. So those are some of the more trafficked uh, blog posts on the site, and they're re- they're pulling in people that way. And I think that's it's slower than I would have initially wanted, but I think here I'm giving a lot of value to people coming to the site, and then hopefully they'll stick around and join the list. Yeah. And so how are people finding that content then outside of those author partnerships, which I still think is a brilliant idea? Are you aiming towards search engine optimization? Are you still promoting through social media, even if you're not advertising there? How 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 are the how are those pieces of content being disseminated? I do promote them through social media still, and the great thing is they're evergreen, so I can promote them um, whenever I want. Uh, and they also come in handy because if I'm uh, if I include a product in one of the boxes uh, that I've already written about, I can include a link in the material and say, "Hey, if you want to learn more about this type of product, I've already written about it. Come here and read you know read some more." Um, and I have made friends with other uh, wood romance bloggers, some romance book bloggers, and they've been sharing some of my content too. So that helps get the word out. Awesome. Okay. So I can imagine that another way that would be really beneficial for you to grow your audience is through word of mouth. And at the same time, you have a product that is consumed and used in private. And on top of that, we are reticent often to talk about uh, these things. And so I can imagine that while word of mouth is a really good way for you to find customers, it's also maybe a little bit challenging to get people to talk openly and honestly about this product that they're very excited about. So what, what kind of things have you 
done to overcome that challenge and get your customers talking about the fact that they have this great body bookworm subscription? <laughs> oh, th- that part I'm still working on. I do have some <laughs> community members who absolutely love the product and are happy to tell their friends or, uh, you know, uh, reader groups that they're in about it. So that helps quite a bit. Um, and one thing I did try, and I think it worked, was my subscription addiction is a huge website that reviews and ranks, you know, the hundreds of subscription boxes out there. And they had a reader's choice um, vote. And I asked my community to vote and we actually hit two of the lists. So that is going to help me a lot to get the word out. Oh, I love that. Well, that's great because that's a more private way of like recommending a product to someone or, to, you know, to, or yeah, being able to recommend it without having to plaster it on your Facebook wall. <laughs> right. Because people are friends, Facebook friends with their bosses, you know, their, their church friends. And while you know, they might talk about that privately. It's not something you want to leave permanently on social media. And I get that. Yeah. Um, So we've touched a a little bit on this already, but I I want to ask the question more directly. What are some of the things that we might be surprised to learn about the people who buy from you, the market that you have, and the audience that you've worked to build? Sure. Like I said before, when I first started, I was focusing more on the sex toys aspect to, you know, hey, here's some cool sex toys and, and books you can use to, you know, act out the toys you can use to act out the scenes in the books. And I, I realized that my main audience were romance readers, because they were already open, they're reading about sex, explicit sex, and they're open to the topic. And, you know, that's, that's when I I, things started to grow was when I was focusing focusing on the romance readers and not just people who wanted to try, you know, women who wanted to try sex toys. Um, I niche, you know, niche down even further, I guess, with my marketing. But I didn't, I knew that romance readers read a lot, but I didn't realize how many books they read. And so I, uh, I asked my private community and we have one person in the group who reads like 400 books a year. Oh my God. I mean, it's, I know. <laughs> But I think the average in our group is, you know, like three to five books a week, which is a lot for me because I just like if I had a commute, I could probably read more books, you know, via audio. But um, yeah, that was really shocking. I am absolutely floored by that. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I know (laughs) I'm like, if I can read one a week, my husband reads a lot. (laughs) Yeah, my husband reads a lot. And he maybe he can he probably get in more He'll finish a book in less than a week, but he's not reading that many more, you know, in a week. He maybe, maybe, maybe he'll finish two short ones in a week. Three to four is an amazing amount of books. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I just bow down to them. I'm lucky if I finish one a week. Um, and they remember what they read, which is great because in our community said, I'm looking for a book that has um, a secret baby storyline and amnesia. And then people will jump and say, well, try this author and this book. I'm like, holy cow, I can't even remember what I read two weeks ago. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, OK, so the other thing that I really love about the fact that you realized your audience is actually romance readers is that, I mean, the difference in consumption between sex toys and romance books is huge, right? Because I mean, I I don't know what the average sex toy consumer, how many products they buy in a year, but it can't be nearly as many as three to four books per week, right? And so not only did you discover, oh, your, your targeting or your perception of your ideal buyer was a little 
off, but you realize that your ideal buyer was actually this person who was consuming a vast amount of material. And you can kind of slide your product into that established habit, right? Right. I love that. Okay. So you mentioned your private community um, and we haven't talked about that yet, um, but I also know you have a if not public, you have a a free kind of open community as well, right? Can you tell us about how community building has uh, fit into your overall audience building strategy? I wish I had started my my close my I have a close Facebook group called Body Bookworms Insiders. I wish I had started it from the very beginning. Because when you're buying sex toys from someone, even if it comes in a nice pretty box with a romance book, like there's an element of trust. Um, because, I mean, you can buy sex toys anywhere on Amazon, you know, um, and having that community in the space for people to know that I was there, even if they weren't comfortable asking for advice um, inside the group. I've actually had people message me privately and ask for um, recommendations on toys. That has... Uh, you know, that has helped me tremendously, like know what my community wants. Um, I ask them for suggestions on content. Um, They will share, you know, funny things. And I, and that's what I've always wanted. The main purpose of doing this is to make people feel more comfortable talking about sex and to say, you know, it's okay um, to want to have orgasms and feel good, you know, because our society teaches women to focus on their male partner's pleasure and and this space i absolutely love this space i I mean i go into it more than any of my other social media groups that's awesome so it really kind of builds on the core mission of your product which is a great way not only is that a great way to kind of bring people together but it's a great way to make that connection between what they want and what they need and what you're really there to provide, regardless of the product that kind of makes that happen. Right. And they do get first notice, advance notice of, you know, any specials, like, you know, a few times a year I'll do um, mystery boxes. So they get first dibs and on things like that. So that's kind of the perk of them being in the group too. Cool. And and they don't have to be customers to be a part of the Facebook group, correct? No, the Facebook group is open to to anyone who wants to find a fun place to talk about sex and romance. And do you do like what what kind of promotion inside of that Facebook group do you do? We're quarterly, we're a quarterly subscription. So I kind of do these like launch periods whenever the um, subscription opens up for the quarter. So um, the spring one, things have started going. So I'll share um, tidbits in there first. Um, before um, it goes onto the mainstream, but it's pretty pretty low promo. Like you know, I'll people know me by they'll like ask for me and say, "Hey, you know, Tin Kim, what do you think about this?" So it's a very like personal um, relationship I have with the group. Mm. Okay, as we start to wrap up here, um, I'm curious, sort of, just how your overall mindset. Uh, has changed when it comes to when it comes to going out and finding the people you need to make this business work as the business has evolved. Like you've you've talked today about how you have a uh, your uh, your understanding of the customer has evolved. Your understanding of kind of how the product fits into their daily habits or their regular habits has evolved. But 
I'd love to hear sort of when you approach this from a strategy perspective or when you're deciding on new ideas to try, how has that approach evolved as the business has evolved? Well, I I became more involved in the romance um, reading and writing community. So I've gone to conferences and events and just made myself become part of the community. Like, you know, even though I did, I took a break from reading romance. When I jumped back in, I thought, like, I don't know what's cool and what's hip and trendy anymore. Um, so let me like talk to the people on the ground who know. And then I started attending conferences and networking. And the, you know, when the authors found out what I did, like, this is amazing. You know, I, I want to get your, my book in your box. So that helped the conversation going and, and got me in my foot in the door for places that I didn't have contacts before. Like I had worked with publishers before on, in a different way, but none of those people that I knew worked in the romance genre. Yeah, I, I just I love your immersive kind of human approach to this. And I think that's sort of been a, a thread that you've been talking about this whole conversation is just really thinking about the people thinking about what they need, um, being willing to interact with people, whether it was at a in home party, or whether it's <laughs> in your Facebook group, um, or whether it's at a conference, um, and also just incorporating all of the human partnerships that you have been pursuing at the same time. It just I think it really shows how far a passion for the product can actually go toward um, helping you do the things that you need to do to get a business off the ground, you know? Yeah, the romance community is so welcoming. You know, I joined a local romance book club um, in my area last year, and they had never met me. They're like, come to our book club. And they took me with open arms. And I think that that's pretty much like, you find a romance reader, and all of a sudden, you're best friends because it's such a maligned genre like we love what we read it makes us happy and we want to make other people happy and share the love and and that's why I love this community and for me to be able to be the sex toy expert for them and share these things even better (laughs) that's awesome so uh looking toward the rest of this year what are you most excited about with your business Oh, well, we've done two partnerships this year with publishers. So I would love to partner with um, an indie writer, uh, maybe a writer of color, and just kind of help. Well, that's my other passion with this business is to really get the word about uh, word out about diverse romances. And I want, want to use this business to help push those people and promote them and, and help them succeed as well. So that's That's, my plan for this year. That's fantastic. Tin Kim Lam, thank you so much for giving us a look inside Body Bookworms and how you're building a niche market. You're welcome. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for letting me talk about sex on what works. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. Find out more about Tan Kim Lam and Body Bookworms at bodybookworms.com. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 200 more candid conversations with small business owners at explorewhatworks.com.